0: value all right i am back
1: with Tarin, and we are going to have some more discussion about non-compliance um and maybe i'll even talk you know in reference to non-compliance and how that relates to what compliance looks like from the adult perspective but we are here to have discussions on this topic because we are working really hard to shift the narrative around
0: autism. Uh, What do you have to say today, Torin? Well, first off, I'd just like to apologize. Do you hear any, like, like a rumbling sound in the background? They're doing construction on my apartment building. Um, I did the best I could to sort of nullify the sound, but it it is what it is. Um, As for today, I want to focus exclusively, and we talked about this in, in the pregame, more exclusively on, like, sort of the classroom Mm -hmm. and how noncompliance can affect uh, expectations Mm -hmm. of students in terms of, like, education, things like that, and how we have certain expectations of students uh, academically and how it's often viewed as noncompliance because they're not living up to those expectations. Mm -hmm. So they're essentially be, you know they're capable of doing so, So it often feels like they're being non-compliant. They're purposely like tanking their own education. Yeah, and um, I I like the way you sort of brought up that a lot of
1: times the expectations are there because they've either done it before or the teacher knows that they're capable because they've demonstrated in another environment. And so it is looked upon as the non-compliance, but I'll go back to what we talked about um, in the first uh, discussion on non-compliance is that if you're looking at something and you think of it as non-compliance you need to shift and look at the child's perspective in terms of okay why are they struggling to complete this task why are they demonstrating non-compliance and you guys can't see my quote my air quotes but non-compliance is one of my least favorite words uh however i do understand the concept So when a child is not completing a task or picking up their pencil to do their their homework or their writing or whatever it is the teacher has asked them to do, um, there's a reason. Uh, And it's interesting. I know that teachers are sort of in the mix, right? Like they're in the mix of what's going on and trying to get kids to line up. And often I will see teachers call me in to do an observation to get help on the child will not follow directions, right? He's not complaining. He won't follow directions. He won't line up when we say line up. And then when I watch her procedures, she is not considered where he stands to keep him in a sensory safe environment. He cannot have children in close proximity. It doesn't work well for him to have someone with a ponytail in front of him. That's a lot for him to process as well as keep his body space where it needs to be. So that's when I discuss where can we put him in the line so that he can be in a sensory safe um, situation and set them up for success so that you can get compliance. And that's where I think, um, you know, that's why Torn and I are having this discussion because we want everyone to see it's not a child just choosing not to do.
0: I have a question. So in these two compliance episodes, we sort of talk, whenever we talk about education, mm-hmm. we're sort of defaulting towards inclusive learning Mm-hmm. so a mix of special needs and regular education mm-hmm. where there'll be one or two special needs children in a class of, of, of uh, gen ed students what about if you, if you're a teacher and you work as exclusively special needs school or an exclusively special needs class because you mentioned let's say johnny's in the line and where his body awareness is so you want to know where he can go but what if there what if you have 20 autistic children Yes. And moving Johnny from this place, that space, place, that messes up Sally's sensory issues, then you got to move Sally around. Next thing you know, you're moving everybody around, you don't actually to get out of the class. That what, is, do you, what do you do to make sure you can accommodate children while not setting off other children's sensory issues? That is a really good question, Torrent, and I actually have not thought about that in a while, um, but I
1: will definitely tell you a perfect scenario I had in my classroom. And my classroom was a uh, a small homeschool setting, um, but it was a school, we had an actual school that was, you know, registered, and I had nine students, no teacher assistant, the therapist would come through, um, you know, to do therapy with the kiddos, and we would work together, but the majority of the time, it was me and my students. So I had to figure out how to make sure someone who needed the window open, someone who needed the window closed all the time, somebody who needed to have the corner desk who needed to be next to the window and the other person who didn't like the person who would spin their hands, everybody's little nuances. I had to literally coordinate and structure the classroom so that everybody had what they needed, but they also were not sort of like invading on what someone else needed now that takes a lot of planning, right? It takes knowing your students. However, I needed to do that so that we would not have a chaotic classroom situation. um, and, And I wanted the kids to be set up for success. The other part of that is I also taught my students why we were doing this, what they could do if someone else needed help. So I didn't just leave them in, you know, I mean, they weren't like in their corners, but everyone had a space that worked for them. Some kids like to have their desk covered with a cardboard, you know, like the library cubicle when Mm they, right. And if they needed that, they could have that. Another student may not have wanted that. Uh, So I will, and I'm going to, I will sort of wrap up this scenario in terms of, I always go back to it is the responsibility of the adults in the room to know the child know what they need and organize and plan so that everyone's set up for success and if the students are set up for success the teacher's set up for success and and I'll share with you a funny story of three of those students in that classroom Um, student number one liked a song to play and that was it right songs over that's the end Student number two, the song can never get to the end. You have to stop it before it ends. Student number three, the song has to play three times in a row. And like I said, this was a small homeschool. So I'm literally driving a car with four students, three of whom have a specific way a song on the radio needs to play. Well, trial number one on a field trip, total chaos, meltdowns in the backseat. I'm trying to drive, have to pull over. All right. Next time, what am I going to do? So before we went on a trip, I sat with each of them and I I used visual cards for who gets to go first. And I said, Michael likes to do this with a song, and of course, Walker would say, "Ah, we have to play the song." I'm like, "Yep, that's right. You have your thing. He has his thing. We're going to work it out. So we're going to take turns on who gets to pick the way they want to listen to a song, and that is what I did." To structure and set them up for success so that we could safely go to the zoo because we really liked going to the zoo, but we certainly could not have um, that chaos sort of in, in the background. And the other tricky part to that component was student number four, who didn't really care how the songs were played. I was not allowed to make left turns because left turns means you're going to the doctor and that is not what he wanted to do. So <laughs> I had to sort of like, um, I, don't, I don't I mean I'm not a coach or anything for a sports but I'm, I'm sure it's about how to navigate and who gets to go where and, and all of that but you know you have to be creative but you have to know your students and you have to set them up for success. So that is the answer to my question on how do you make sure that everyone gets what they need so that everyone has success because you are going to have, there's a little different nuances, right? Somebody doesn't like noise and another person wants to hear a lot of noise. And how do we navigate that in the classroom?
0: I'm sorry, that that was a great answer, but that impression of, of the student flipping out, like, because anybody who worked with kids or has kids, regardless of neurotype, knows that's what like little kids, that's like five or six olds. that's what they sound like, like ah! Exactly.
1: <laughs> That's exactly. And this was one of my students that, you know, I'm so super proud of him now. He's actually going into his third year of college. Oh, nice. Yes. And, and he actually came to me um, because he was literally put out for noncompliance in several schools. And um, he came to me day one and he fired me twice. We came to an agreement. He hired me back and uh, his mom came to pick him up. And she said oh my gosh just tell me just tell me and i said well he fired me twice and he hired me back so i'll see him tomorrow in the morning and she said he's he's he can come back i said he did everything that i would anticipate a student who was autistic would do the first day of school in a new environment i'll see him tomorrow and he is now finishing his third year of college but he used to always ask me to buy him french fries and I would say, Walker, I don't have any French fry money today. Well, if you would have stayed with that man, you would have had money. Because oh, my he, God. He thought if everyone had love, then you had money. It was really funny, his
0: perspective. Yes. I, all I can think about is how he kept firing and hiring you. That's like the, the, have you ever seen the Woody, Alley meet? Woody, Woody Allen meet? Woody Allen is Like, F you and I'll see you tomorrow from Curvy Enthusiasm. I think exactly. that's where it's from. You know, that's actually, you know directly related uh, now that i think about
1: it to that non-compliance right he would he really math was not his favorite subject and so when i was trying to get him to do a math task he was pushing back on it he didn't want to do it and then he just got frustrated and he fired me well i understood why he was frustrated right and i'm learning and trying to understand him he's a new student so i'm not going to take it personally because he is being non-compliant and not finishing the task my role is to figure out How can we work it out so that you can feel successful to do your math, right? Because he felt insecure about doing math. And and I understand that. If you are feeling like it's going to be really hard, um, you're going to pull away from it. And, you know, he was that kiddo that when he was, you know, demonstrating that noncompliance for whatever reason, whether it was not sensory regulated or a lot of times he was just hungry. Walker was a big uh, eater. He enjoyed his food. And... It was, that's when he would push back and tell me I was fired. Because I got fired often. I mean, very often. And then I would just say, Walker, okay, fine. I'm going to call and see if they can get a substitute to come in while they hire someone. And then like 30 minutes later or an hour later, Walker would say, can you call them back and tell them that I want you to be rehired back? I'm like, yes, Walker. I'll call them and let them know that they can rehire me back. And that was just what he did, right? He got his frustration out. He came and apologized in his own way, and we
0: moved on, and and the non compliance I'm sort of like that, too, and I feel like this is, you touched on something really important. When I'm met with something, anything, but in specifics, we're talking about ac- academia. When I was met with anything in school, college, or high school, whatever, any new subject I struggled with, I would just shut down first, where I would just, I wouldn't even tempt it, especially if it was math, because I really, 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 really suck at math. So, like, the only reason I passed math was because my teacher added 20 grades to my points senior year. Otherwise, I would have been in summer school after I graduated. <laughs> but anyway, someone offers me, so the teacher provides a new, like, math platform or is teaching a new, a, a new math thing. I, I would just shut down. I wouldn't do it. i put my head down the desk often and just pretend to be asleep. And I wouldn't even engage the teacher. No matter, even if they kicked me out, it wouldn't matter because it was overwhelming. And then after, usually like the next day or something, or later that day, I would then start to slowly engage with the work. But the first reaction for anything new that was challenging would always be, oh, I can't do this. I'm still like that. I'm like that with everything. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Like, oh, I, can't. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just walk away. To the point where by the time I got to college, I would start budgeting in like what I call breakdown time when Mm I would get like a paper that we do in a week and then I'd have a nervous breakdown because I'd be like, there's no way I'm going to pull this off. I'm not going to be able to find enough sources. I'm not going to be able to read through the sources. I'm not going to be able to write fast enough. So Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, I need to start paper today because let's say I have seven days to write paper. It should take me about four days to write it. So I need to start a week ahead of time because I need two days to get the sources and one day to have a nervous breakdown about how overwhelmed I am. Yep. And I would literally have to budget that time in. That's so smart.
1: And, you know, that's a perfect example, Torin, of uh, when I speak with parents on when they say things like, well, if we implement that strategy, are they going to need that the rest of their lives? I'm like, yes. Yeah, we- probably. But we all so need some, some form of it, yeah. It looks different as you get older and you mature, you do things like that. So that's a smart way. And in fact, you know, I always say, you know, I appreciate autistic individuals because I I like the forthrightness and that's such a smart thing to do in terms of, I know, and I anticipate I might need, so I'm going to build that in like, you know, the rest of us need to maybe figure out how to do that uh, in terms of.
0: And when, and when they say, when when they say, are they always going to need strategies to the rest of their lives? I never understood because adults have strategies all the time. Like, do you write stuff? Do you write a grocery list down when you go shopping? So you don't forget what you need? Like, yeah. do you write things down? That's a strategy because you can't remember stuff. I use that because a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Are you, well, the picture if I said, well, you're going to need to write a grocery list for the rest of your life. Yeah. You should. All yeah. well, the ideas is you should just be able to remember it. Exactly.
1: I know. I hear it all the time. And, you know, in terms of what you talked about with the classroom and something being difficult, and then we're just talking about strategies that we have in place, those are probably, if not sensory-based, but probably the top two of why kiddos are non-compliant when it comes to completing a task. They either don't feel like they can do it successfully, or they don't know what they're supposed to do. And then a lot of our kids just don't know how to ask for help or communicate that. And so sometimes you just cannot, sometimes you just cannot do the activity or you just don't understand. um, And that's where the educators are supposed to implement those supports that the kids need so that they can. When I go into a classroom and a teacher says to me, well, you you know, beforehand, they've already written me the message and said, you know, non-compliant, non-compliant. I'm just like, okay, here we go. And then I go into the classroom and there are no supports in place, no supports in place. And uh, the teacher is just so proud, you know, for the fact that, you know, look at him, look at him, look at him, see what he's doing, see what he's doing. And I'm just thinking, this is just embarrassing you know, to watch an educator um, just look ridiculous because you're excited about tattletaling on a child who is not complying, not following directions, rolling on the floor, but you have no visuals in place. You do not have anything communicating to this child when he's supposed to be done, what he's supposed to be doing at this time. He is four years old. He is still building his communication and you have nothing set up for him.
0: On top of that, I hate when, especially when you're doing really young kids and they're like, well, he's four and he's not communicating. It's like anybody who's worked with really young kids understands that like I have a, most of my experience in education is with first is with K through two. But they 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 can't talk. They they can, but like they've essentially been like the first graders pretty much can't talk as far as I'm concerned. They still talk in baby voice. Second graders are just getting the hang of it. If you think about it, they're not really good at it because they haven't been doing it for that long. Yeah. And teenagers aren't even good. Joe Rogan is a comedian. He may once made a joke where he said, think about it. You ever notice how like teenagers just speak weird? They speaking like slang and stuff. It's because they, they're not good at talking They I haven't been doing it for that long. So you use like half sentences and stuff. You, have, you need you need like closed captioning to understand what they're saying. Well, like a, a six or seven year old or a four year old has barely been doing it at all. They don't, they don't know what the hell they're saying. Exactly. So I hate that. And another thing you mentioned is a lot of teachers, in my experience, there's generally, most teachers, in my experience, fall into two categories. The, I call them the yellers and the planners. So mm-hmm. you have the yellers who believe just their presence and their voice and their sense of authority should get people to do what they want, yes. and they rely heavily on that. The planners are people who generally rely on routine. Mm-hmm. So they have a whole routine. Everything is, is regimented and sort of the same Every day as humanly possible. They mm-hmm. sit in the same place, they do the same thing, they go, they they they, they go, they uh their their classes are in the exact same order and laid out in the same order, and they rely on central routine to sort of keep the peace. Yes. The problem is that the first one does not work well with neurodivergent kids, especially autistics, the yellers. It just doesn't. The benefit of just having a presence and being authoritative is when things tend to go wrong and you go off your plan. It can be a problem if you don't have a commanding a command of the classroom. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's really not good for autistic people. Yeah. To just yeah. because the yellers tend not to have a plan. That's a trade They don't they rely on just their sense of authority, so don't really structure anything. Yeah. Because they don't need to, because the kids are kind of scared of them. So exactly. they say they say jump the kids axe how high. So why the hell did you do you need a plan for that?
1: Yeah. And and our kids really need to have more especially structure Um, and it's 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 always interesting to me when um, expectations uh, of students uh, certain ages are that they're supposed to do things that someone 10 years older still can't do. Uh, especially when it comes to little kids and and the expectation in terms of, well, so, you know, a lot of times I hear, you know, when they're in kindergarten and I say, why aren't you supporting them with this, right? Like, why can't you check their bag? You know, make sure their folder has everything in it. Well, we're preparing them for first grade. I said, but they're not in first grade. So you're making them do first grade. Your expectation is that they're going to do it like a first grader so that they can do it. Like when they get to first grade, but that's why we go to first grade. The things we do in kindergarten, we do in kindergarten. Then we go to first grade, not knowing first grade, but learning first grade. So, what? This is why you're getting this non-compliance. You are having expectations that cannot be met, and it's frustrating to children, which then leads to what uh, ongoing behavior problems or meltdowns because they're
0: just expectations they can and, and, and even for parents, there's a lot of um. I'm preparing them for adulthood, preparing them for middle school, for high school, for college. And whenever they say I'm preparing them for something that's coming up, what that translates to is I'm preparing them for what I think is going to happen, and then they're going to actually get there, and a bunch of new shit's going to happen they're completely unprepared for. There are certain skills that are just basic, like potty training, for example, or like being able to eat utensils, if that's possible, so you don't have to eat spaghetti with your hands and things like that. Basics. Yeah. But there is, and I know a lot of parents are kind from of want to hear this. There isn't a whole lot of preparing that you're really going to be able to do. It's going to be a whole lot of just teaching your child or children how to deal with unforeseen events and how to use their strengths to sort of roll with the punches. Which yeah. for an autistic person is hard. So when you're dealing with autistic people, you need to be able to work on how to re- keep regulated and how to get re-regulated after they get dysregulated. Yeah. And that needs to be the focus because stuff's going to happen. it's just unexpected. And it's not really much prepping you're going to be able to do. Yep. And in education, in, in particular, like educate, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Education is famous for you're preparing them for first grade and first grade comes and all the stuff they prepared for just gets thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially if you're in public school,
1: if (laughs) public school,
0: if if we,
1: you know, one of the things that uh, why I wanted to talk about continue talking about noncompliance, because at the end of our last uh, uh, chat, I started thinking about kids that are deemed noncompliant, when there is a change in routine. And when we know our children need to know what to expect when we've been told our children need to know what to expect, Um, when we have been uh, either in the IEP communicated to, or we have been notified or trained that visual supports are needed for this particular student, then it is expected that you provide it. So when you have a change in routine, and sometimes it happens very fast, but you should be prepared on how you're going to communicate that to the child so that you don't get that noncompliance. And, and, I think that, you know, and this is why we're having this conversation and and, and hopefully, you know, folks are listening and, and they're getting and understanding the message and thinking about how they can do things differently. But whenever there is a change in routine, that has to be communicated to the child. As an adult, I like to get the communication that something's going to be changed. If a meeting is going to be delayed, a faculty meeting, or if they're going to cancel the faculty meeting, I'd like to know so that I can plan for making a change in my routine. Um, and I think we forget that. And so when it comes to kids who, when you say, oh, okay, we're going to go to Miss Such-and-such's class because maybe it's raining and the PE teacher's out, who knows? There's all kinds of things that happen. If you don't communicate that to that child and then you mark their points or write a nasty little letter to their parents about them not following directions because you deem it to be non-compliant, but you haven't considered the needs of the child, and you haven't provided what they need so that they can be compliant. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that I want teachers to think about. I want you to remember that our children are aware, but they do need to have some things directly communicated to them, especially when it comes to change in routine, or when they're going to be finished. A lot of kids are, are totally opting out of doing a task because no one's communicated when they're going to be finished.
0: It oh might- I hate that. I hate that when they're like, so yeah, just do it till I say stop. Well when are you going to say stop? Well whenever I say stop. Well see I am not I, I'm not starting anything until you give me a definitive starting line. Exactly. Or if someone tells me just, just just trust me. Just do this, I'm like, well why are we doing this? Just trust me. I'm like yeah that's not that's not happening. Yep. They get, then, they, then they look at me like I'm an a hole. But it's like t- t- you obviously there's a reason. So either either you have a reason and you're withholding it because you want to be dick, or you don't know the reason you're telling me to do it, which that makes me incredibly suspicious about what you're telling me to do right now, even you don't know. Yes. Or you don't know when it's gonna finish, which means you're as blind as I am, so why am I taking direction from you? <laughs> and, and a lot of th- autistics we're thinking that. Even if we don't communicate it, that's what we're thinking. We're like, wait. So either you're not telling us to be mean because you think it's funny or you don't know. And if you don't know, why, why am I listening to you then? Exactly. I say that all the time. If you don't know what it's supposed to look
1: like and you can't communicate it to them, how are they supposed to know what it's supposed to look like? You have to know and have your plan together as an educator, especially a classroom teacher and as a parent as well. Uh, I will share, we have a little bit of time left and, Uh, you know, I like to share my stories as for examples. And uh, this is a a really simple example of how um, something can appear to be non-compliant when technically, yes, it is non-compliance, but that has such a negative connotation um, these days. But, uh, so I'll just share the story. I had a student and we had routines in our classroom, of course. And the routine was when we came in from lunch, the students would, there were four students and they would go and we would of course go. This was younger kids, age three to six. So we were potty training and, and working on those skills. But you know, that was part of our routine. We come in and we line up for our bathroom. And so I had pieces of tape on the floor that were for kids to sit for those who were waiting for the toilets, right? Those were who were potty training. Well, that particular day, only one of the students who was using the toilet was there that day. And so, Miss Jane, my teacher assistant, said, Go ahead and sit on the toilet. He literally stopped mid and did not move. And she said, Kiet, go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. Miss Stacy, he doesn't want to listen. And I said, Miss Jane, remember routine. I said, Kiet, go sit on the blue tape. He sat on the blue tape. I said, Now you can go to the toilet. He had a routine, and that part of the routine had to happen. Now, some kids are a little bit more flexible, but for this particular student, he needed to have that part of the routine before he went to the toilet, even though it wasn't necessary on this particular day. Um, so that was an ex- that's an example of you know, the teacher assistant, you know, and she was great. She was great. She just didn't realize, and so then I had to stop and observe, and I had to think about is unusual he doesn't normally do this and i'm like oh typically we have the other students and it's we rarely have
0: absences but, but stacy so let's let, let me play devil's advocate Go ahead. So let's say let's say i'm a teacher mm-hmm. so i grew up when i was growing up i was in school people just told me to do stuff and didn't give me reasoning to do it they just told me to do it and if i ever asked i got yelled at and i went home i had a bunch of parents and one of them stayed at home and was forced, and, and my mom got pregnant. Was forced to stay at home, couldn't live her dream. My dad worked job, he completely despised. So they just told me to do stuff, and I just didn't. I got yelled at. And I asked why, and then I went to college with a bunch of old professors who were around during the French Revolution, and they would just tell me to do stuff. And if I told, and I asked them why, they would yell at me and say they were going to adopt my grade. So now I'm. So now, and then I went to grad school with a bunch of teachers who were around since the American Revolution. And if I asked them, if they told me to do something, I asked them why they just yelled at me and threatened off my grade. So now I'm a teacher. Um, I have no critical thinking skills because not once in my entire upbringing have I been encouraged to use critical thinking skills. I don't I don't understand critical thinking or nuance like most people in America. I don't understand any of that stuff. I go home and I, I go home. I tell my kids, my children what to do and yell at them they ask me why and then I turn on the news and just get told how I'm supposed to view the world. If I'm one of those people, which is most unfortunate it's a lot of people because we don't encourage critical thinking skills, how am I supposed to use the critical thinking skills you just mentioned to work in special ed? Because for some reason, I decided to go into special ed even though as I've established, I have no critical thinking skills. I
1: totally, uh, like, I don't even, it's hard for me to even understand um, adults who finish college to not have thinking skills or critical thinking. However, I have realized that we have become a program-based cookie cutter education system. um, And that has facilitated a lot of uh, lack of permission for critical thinking and and there are great teachers out there there are great teachers out there who do have critical thinking that do think outside the box and unfortunately and sadly those teachers leave or they get punished for shining um, because they're not they're not doing what everyone else is doing which is not really putting forth effort and exactly and that happens all the time um unfortunately so i will i will uh i will also say um, as an older person who has definitely, you know, you learn more about yourself the older you get. And I think that we all, once we recognize either our childhood, uh, either trauma experiences, because we're all a product of our childhood. So once we recognize things that we didn't necessarily like, or we didn't have access to at some point, some point, whatever, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. We have to figure out how we're going to choose and make steps outside our comfort zone to to get whatever it is that we feel like we didn't get. And I'm not saying that's easy, that's not what I'm saying. And and I will uh, will end that, uh, sort of wrap up that statement in terms of adult responsibility for your profession, especially when it involves children, which is very personal to me. Uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful colleague And, um, I really still miss working with her and we were in the parking lot after a meeting and she said to me, I really wish that, that I could say no, like you say, no, like you just stand up for, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah." And I said to her, it's not about me being able to say no and you being able to say no. I said, it's about, I'm okay with taking the consequences that come with saying no. And you're struggling with that because you don't want consequences. So that's the only difference. I'm willing to take the fall when I push back. And, um, and that's not easy, right? Because it does. It impacts your life. It impacts, I mean, I've had lots of things that when I push back for the, for the right of children, lots of consequences. But I, had, I became an educator. I became a speech therapist and chose to work in education because children are important and I value all children and, and especially children with special needs need support um, in, the, in the classroom setting. So that's
0: and I, I have I have a story about that, about lack of critical thinking and sort of learning to adapt a little bit. I know it's a little off topic, but it, it plays in what you just said. I, I worked my first job with kids was in a summer camp a few years back and we were on a field trip as and all the, the different groups of children lined up on these long benches, these long, narrow benches. And the benches were next to each other in a row. And then the, the counselors in charge of the groups were supposed to sit on the next bench over. And that's where we were supposed to sit. That's where our supervisor told supposed to sit. I sat two benches down. So it was my group, next bench to another group, then I sat on the third bench. Mm-hmm. And my supervisor said, why don't you sit on, why don't you sit on a bench closer to your group, which is the one right behind my which is one on the other side of my group. Mm-hmm. And I told him why. And he says, that's not a good reason, you gotta move. So he forced me to move. Here was the reason. The bench closest to my group was behind my group, meaning I wouldn't, I would have, they had my kids had their back to me. Ah. Even if they were doing something, I wouldn't have been able to see it. the bench. I chose is slightly further away, but I could look at them directly mm-hmm. and they could look at me, which meant they knew not to act up. Yes. I explained this to him. He was like, no, you still did not move. So I'm like, so I, I looked at them. I'm like, so you're going to put me in a worse position yeah. because the protocol says I have to be on the bench closest to the group. Yeah. Even though that doesn't work. And, and the way the bench is laid out, I couldn't have the group just turn around. That yeah. wasn't an option. So I'm like, that makes no sense. I'm like, Well, oh, that's critical. He was sort of, he was trained to be a, re- what scares me is he was trained to be a religious leader. Ah. So that really frightened me. So I'm like, oh, you're someone who just follows like the letter of the law. That's not good because being a religious leader involves having critical thinking skills too. Yeah. So you shouldn't be around kids or parishioners. I didn't say all that stuff, but I almost got fired because I put up a big fuss. I'm like, eventually I had to move. I'm like, so put, and I sat down, I'm like, so you're putting me in a worse position. Yeah. Yep. But they do that all the time. And a lot of teachers, good teachers with critical thinking skills, are often put in that position. Exactly. Yep. By people who don't think critically.
1: Exactly. And and when their students outshine the other students, the other teachers have an issue with that. So they make it very difficult
0: for that. Yes. Teacher.
1: And and, and I, I know that, you know, I'm I'm kind of an odd 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 person out in terms of I'm okay with just being in Stacy's world and wandering the hallways by myself, even though I'm very social and extrovert. Um, but I will not sacrifice children
0: to make people like me or to keep a job. Um, exactly. I'm, I'm not afraid of getting fired. Like I'm not afraid of getting fired. I'll go home and have a good day right now. But while I'm still working there, I'm going to do the best. for my, I'm going to do the best for my kids while I'm working there, because I'm not going to compromise their safety because some stupid regulation that was that does not translate when you get down to the ground level and anybody with any critical thinking skills at all can see does not apply to a certain situation. I gave that one example, but I have hundreds of those examples. I'm sure you have tens of thousands of those examples and they're stupid. And that's part of what increases the non-compliance is that oftentimes, and this doesn't get stated enough, teachers aren't allowed to make the adjustments that they know need to be made. Exactly, which is why we're
1: losing wonderful teachers and and stuck with not so wonderful teachers um, yeah. who are not wanting to put, you know, make it student centered. Um, so with that said, because uh, I do like the way you sort of had that come around where you're right, all of the changes and all these policies have made children have to do more tidbits of of compliance, which is not an expectation that many children can't meet. And certainly our children who need support, if supports aren't in place, um, they won't be able to meet those expectations either. So those of you who have listened to us chat about non-compliance versus compliance, um, again, um, hoping that it just helps you to start thinking about approaching things a little differently. And then I will say, To all the great teachers out there who are already doing the great work, uh, thank you. And to the teachers who are learning how to do um, what needs to be done, um, we appreciate you as well. And hopefully others will follow um, so that we can make our schools a little bit less traumatic for autistic individuals. And and that will um, just make it better for all of us.
0: Any last words, Torin? not really to be honest i, I you sort of summed up everything perfectly all right thanks for the talk
1: Torin. it's always great to discuss a topic with you <laughs> it always is all right i'm gonna